Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you atop a windswept rocky outcrop stands a lonely lighthouse Its job for many years has been to forewarn sailors that their boats are at risk of striking one of the many jagged rocks that are hidden deep below the surface, which could cause a devastating shipwreck. The lamp, which was tended to by three hardy keepers on rotation from the mainland of Scotland, one day went dark, and when the watch came to replace the men from the isolated island, they were nowhere to be found, and the lighthouse itself was deserted sparking one of the greatest mysteries of all time. Today on Macabre Mini Mysteries, we uncover the story of the abandoned Flannan Lighthouse and the fate of its three missing keepers. to another episode of Macabre Mini Mysteries. I'm Nikki Druce, your host with The Silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey into another macabre tale from around the world. 
Today, we're going to be exploring the history and lore behind one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of all time, the Flannan Lighthouse disappearance. And I hope you're ready with your string and your pinboard and a very strong coffee, because the theories are endless and some quite absurd. But it's honestly one of my favourite tales and I cannot wait to share it with you. However, before we get into today's story, if you're new here and you want to see more videos where we deep dive into some lesser known historic tales from London, and in fact all over the world and beyond, then please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I make to make sure it continues, then why not consider becoming a patron? the link for which is in the description, and there is a plethora of extra content over there, including my new show with my long-suffering other half called Having a Problem, where we get to the root of the problem with a particular topic every fortnight. Our pilot episode was about robots, where we concluded that the problem was, well, you're just gonna have to listen. The next one is exercise, and they're a little bit history-based, a little bit news-based, and a lot silly. So if you want to listen, head over to Patreon. The link is in the description. You also get all the other extra content too, like my audiobook readings too. So it's a bargain. If that sounds like a good deal to you, then please visit the support me section in the description, which will give you all the links you need so I can continue to regale you with the haunted history we both love. When you think of remote places on Earth, it doesn't get more isolated than a lighthouse on a rocky outcrop on an island separated from the mainland, which has nothing on it apart from the aforementioned illuminated mechanical cyclops. For today's story, we start at the end of the tale, but the beginning of the mystery, when a small boat named the Hesperus docks at Aylan Moor. On board is Captain James Harvey and lighthouse keeper Joseph Moore who are travelling to replace the keepers who are on a regular two-week rotation, which would alternate between the weeks. So two lighthouse keepers would be on the even week, and one would be on the odd week. So Joseph was coming to replace just the one person, and they're ready to swap over. However, when the Hesperus docks, they realise something is very odd. Usually the keepers that had been on the island would be waiting at the entrance gate, ready to board the boat to return to the mainland, but there was no one there. The entrance gate onto the island was locked, and once the men had gone inside, they were greeted with an eerie sight. The lighthouse was left deserted, with the remains of a meal on the table. After searching the island, the sequestered keepers were nowhere to be found, and the Hesperus returned back to the mainland with nothing but the news that the three men that were meant to return had vanished without a trace. But how did this mystery happen? Where did the men go? And what could have occurred to make three well-seasoned lighthouse keepers desert the desolate island? Firstly, we need to go all the way back to the early days of human association with the Flannan Isles. The Flannan Isles, also known as the Seven Hunters, are a group of uninhabited islands located on the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. The reason these islands have remained uninhabited is for good reason. They're exposed to the open ocean of the North Atlantic and, as such, are treated to a wide variety of wild weather conditions. High winds, thick fog, heavy rains, 
storms and cooler than average temperatures all contribute to a fairly inhospitable environment. Pair that with the fact that the islands are at least 20 miles away from the mainland, which doesn't seem like much, but in fact takes anywhere up to two hours to reach by private boat, as there is no public transport, you can see why no one lives there. In 1782, the highlands and the respective islands off the coast of Scotland were battered by a series of ferocious storms, which caused many fishing vessels to wreck on the perilous rocks of the Scottish coastline. As such, the general public, who had many family members who were fishermen, had a vested interest in making sure something was done to protect them when they were out at sea. This led to the Northern Lighthouse Board being created in 1786, and by 1800 they had built and installed four beacons in prominent locations along the coast, with their aim being to light the whole of the coastline in the subsequent years, which they successfully managed to do, and in which the lighthouse at Aylan Moor was part of being finished by 1899. As the lighthouses spread, they became a national landmark for many Scots, and even to this day, the national pride over lighthouses remains strong, with them being somewhat of an unofficial inanimate mascot, featured on many prints and postcards in gift shops all over the country. Even the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh has several pieces of lighthouses scattered throughout its exhibits, and there is even a whole museum dedicated to them in Fraserburgh, Aberdeenshire. These manned lighthouses provide life-saving beacons to passing vessels, which needed to be maintained, and the lanterns had to remain lit in order to keep the ships away from the islands. And as part of this arduous, lonely and gruelling task, the keepers would take it in turn to make sure the light stayed on all night, every night. Aylan Moor, which literally translates to Moor, Big and Aylan, Island in Gaelic, the native language of the Scots, is one of the islands which make up the Flannan Isles, which were named after St Flannan, an Irish bishop who is believed to have visited the islands in the 7th century. He is associated with spreading Christianity in the region, and on the island today still stands a ruined chapel dedicated to him. Despite its religious connections, the islands also have a spiritual and mystical past which have always haunted them, and in some cases, quite literally. One legend tells the tales of the seven hunters who were turned into stone by a mermaid or a witch as punishment for their cruelty towards animals. This legend is believed to have influenced the alternative name Seven Hunters for the Flannan Isles, but the mysterious nature of the outcrops doesn't end there. During the 1800s, the islands were used primarily for grazing sheep, which would be sailed out, unloaded, and then left to graze for a few weeks, moved to a different island, left to graze, and so on and so on. But shepherds would often stay on the other islands, but Aylan Moor was one they refused to spend the night upon. The legend of Aylan Moor was that there were so many spirits populating it that shepherds couldn't spend a restful night there, as they would always be disturbed. Even to this day, people have reported hearing voices whispering which reach a deafening intensity before they fade, 
leading many people to think that there may be ancient spirits or maybe even sirens that protect the islands from long-term human inhabitants. So when the lighthouses became a permanent fixture on the island, it's possible this upset the native spirits, if there were such a thing, and they wouldn't settle for permanent inhabitants of the island. In fact, in the build-up to the lighthouse being built on the island, the locals on the mainland warned that the spirits may interfere with it, but the build went smoothly, and soon any fears were allayed once construction was underway, and after a year, the beacon was ready. On the Isle of Lewis, which was the nearest hospitable island to the Flannans, the Northern Lighthouse Board also built cottages for the lighthouse keepers, which would mean they'd have sufficient housing for them and their families, and this was a plan to keep hold of these well-trained individuals as long-term staff. As I'm sure you can imagine, trying to find someone who is willing to spend weeks out on a tiny island in the middle of the ocean being battered by the elements from such a tiny population is a tough job to recruit for, and so making sure they folded their lives into the working habits was a good thing for the NLB to do, and showed they cared for their staff. Overall, it cost just over £10,000 for the lighthouse, the entrances onto the island and the cottages to be built, which in today's money is just over a million pounds. A neat little invention on the island was the installation of a railway, which sounds like overkill for just three men, but was essential for them to survive and for the lighthouse to remain operable. The narrow-gauge railway had a small steam train which would haul supplies, and more importantly, the 20 barrels of paraffin the light burned per year. Once the light was up and running, and the first lighthouse keepers sent for their first shift, there had to be a way created for any problems to be reported back to the mainland. In a time before telegraphs and radio communication were installed on the island, a very basic watch system was put in place to keep an eye on the keepers, and this came in the form of a local gamekeeper called Roderick Mackenzie. Mackenzie's job was to watch for signals from the lighthouse, which would use a system of round discs displayed from its upper balcony if there were any problems. As Roderick could see for 18 miles from where he lived in Gallon Head, he was to check on the lighthouse once a day. He was given strict instruction that if he were to see anything untoward, then he should contact the Northern Lighthouse Board in Edinburgh immediately. Roderick was paid £8 a year to carry out this job, but as the Flannan Isles received a lot of heavy weather, it was common for the lighthouse to be obscured by fog, so the system definitely wasn't foolproof. If Mackenzie noticed the light was out, he was to carry out his duty and send a notification. But before the disappearance of the men was reported by the crew of the Hesperus, Roderick hadn't seen the light for eight nights but he put this down to heavy fog and recent storms obscuring the island. This meant the three men, whose only lifeline was Roderick, were left completely to their own devices, with no sign of help coming to them any time soon. The keepers on the island were James Duckett, 43, Thomas Marshall, 40, and Donald MacArthur, 28. 
Duckett was the principal keeper who had significant experience as a lighthouse keeper, including serving at various other lighthouses in Scotland before his assignment on the Flannan Isles. I would assume that as Aylan Moore was a new lighthouse, James was picked to head up the crew due to his many years of experience. He was known by the lighthouse board as being reliable, professional and dedicated to his craft, and was highly skilled and very committed to his role. In his personal life, Duckett had four children and a wife back at home who lived in one of the purpose-built cottages back on the Isle of Lewis. Thomas Marshall was the second assistant keeper on Aylan Moor and, like Duckett, he had substantial experience as a lighthouse keeper and had likely worked at other lighthouses in Scotland before joining the Flannan Isles team. Again, his skill was probably headhunted to pair up with Duckett as a perfect leadership duo. In his personal life, Marshall was unmarried, but reports say he did live alongside the other families at the cottages in Lewis and was friends with all their families. With two very qualified men who were diligent workers, the NLB knew that Aylan Moore Beacon was in safe hands, and so they could throw in someone with lesser skill but high determination, and that's where Donald MacArthur, the third of the keepers, comes in. Donald MacArthur was the youngest of the three and an occasional keeper. He was not a full-time member of staff, but he stood in for men across many different lighthouses on the coast when they needed a stand-in or to cover sick leave. Donald was married with two children and also lived in the cottages on Lewis. On this particular occasion, MacArthur was covering for full-time keeper William Ross, who was on sick leave and so he originally wasn't meant to be on the island. This change in staff has given rise to another theory that this unexpected visitor upset the spirits of Aylan Moore, and they decided to wreak havoc on the men as revenge. Now, before the Hesperus had headed to the island on the fateful day of the discovery of the men's disappearance, a ship on the 15th of December had passed the island and noticed that the lamp was out. And when pulling into port three days later, a telegram was sent to the Northern Lighthouse Board head office in Edinburgh. The relief vessel was set to arrive on the 20th of December to carry out the swap over for the crew, but unfortunately due to adverse weather which battered the coast, it made sailing to the island impossible and it would take a further six days to reach the remote rocky outcrop. Over the course of the agonisingly long wait, the keepers' families watched desperately night after night hoping for a glimpse of the shining beacon to reach them on Lewis, but the ocean remained resolutely dark. On Boxing Day, the 26th of December 1900, the ship finally managed to reach the island, and instantly both Captain Harvey and Joseph Moore knew something had gone horribly wrong, as firstly, there were no provisions boxes lined up to be replaced, which was standard procedure for the relief vessel to swap the crates over. No docking ropes had been laid out to help with the ship's mooring, the entrance gate onto the island was locked, and most importantly, no men were awaiting their arrival. Now, given that the boat was six days late, it may well have factored in that the men simply didn't know when help would be coming, so they battened down the hatches and simply waited. So, in order to draw their attention, 
Captain Harvey blew the ship's horn, a whistle, and even fired a flare. But all attempts to make contact were met with a deafening silence. Joseph Moore clambered into a small rowing boat and made his way alone onto the island. Once he'd clambered up the rocks and onto the steps, he made the agonisingly long climb up the steep cliff face from where the staircase was cut and began to ascend the sharp incline of the island, his only soundtrack being the lashing waves and the circling calling kittiwakes which lived upon the perilous ledges of the outcrop. He later reported he felt a heavy sense of foreboding as he made the doomed trip up the cliff. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Once he reached the lighthouse and its associated collection of buildings, Joseph opened the door, which was closed but not locked. Now, as this was a very remote island, it made sense that they may not have always locked the door. But for a small island in the middle of nowhere, there were legitimate security concerns as, at any point, nefarious pirates could pass by and try their luck, even though I'm sure there was nothing really of value within the lighthouse itself. However, even with the remoteness of the island in mind, I think I personally would still keep the door locked. As Joseph went into the house, calling for the men, it was silent. He made his way into the eerily quiet living quarters and found the remains of a meal on the kitchen table, an open Bible, and in the bedroom, the beds were all unmade. But this was a group of three men left alone on an island, and I know I hardly ever make my own bed at home, so I'm sure as hell they probably didn't bother either, so probably nothing untoward there. On further inspection, all the clocks in the dwelling had stopped, and the food, even though it may have been out for several days, wasn't rotten. But, to be fair, this was an island in the middle of nowhere, and it would have been very cold in December. The washing up had been done, and the remains of the meal may have been left out for a snack later on, and everything seemed very calm within the living quarters themselves. 
The only thing which seemed untoward was an overturned chair in the kitchen, which was the only thing which pointed to any urgency of the situation. Joseph continued hunting around the property and he found the three regulation oil skins, which were standard issue for the men, were all missing apart from one which remained on the hook. Oil skins were a thick, water and weatherproof set of clothing which consisted of a long hooded raincoat and a pair of coated trousers with attached braces which went over their normal clothing. These regulation items were always to be worn when out on the island and as everyone was missing, this meant someone had broken the rules and left the compound without the appropriate protection. Joseph checked the ashes in the fire and they were completely cold, and the surrounding hearth was freezing to the touch, suggesting that there had been no occupants within the lighthouse for several days. The stopped clocks pointed again to the passage of time, as they would have taken at least a few days to wind down, and as the men would have used these in their daily duties to make sure the lamp was lit at the correct time, it gave him a rough idea that it had been at least three to four days since the men had been in the lighthouse. Pair this with the lack of light from the lighthouse itself over the past week, and Joseph's sense of foreboding about the men's whereabouts was proving to be correct. They were well and truly gone. Joseph made his solemn solo journey back to the patiently docked Hesperus and delivered the news that James, Thomas and Donald, the keepers of the Aylenmore Lighthouse, were missing. The subsequent crew of the Hesperus went to take over temporary command of the lighthouse and continued with an enhanced search of the island itself, but the whereabouts of the missing men couldn't be determined. The logbook was reported to have had a confusing note inside as its last entry, which read, Storm ended, sea calm, God is over all. And previous to this, entries which reported a mysterious storm, which hadn't reached the mainland just over 20 miles away, had battered the island with waves so vicious as none of the men had ever seen before. Later personal diary reports from Donald were also said to have said that tensions were high in the lighthouse and morale was low, with the season keepers crying and praying and the men all calling upon God together. However, we'll touch more on that in a little while. In order to make sure the lighthouse resumed its life-saving duties, the lamp and mechanism was inspected and nothing was found to be amiss. The lamp was full and worked like a dream, so the light itself wasn't responsible for any malfunction. It had simply not had the manpower to keep it lit. With the temporary crew now filling in for the lost men, Captain Harvey had the unenviable task of delivering the news back to the mainland. In a telegraph he sent to the Northern Lighthouse Board headquarters in Edinburgh, he wrote, A dreadful accident has happened at Flannins. The freight keepers, Duckett, Marshall and the occasional have disappeared from the island. On our arrival there this afternoon, no sign of life was to be seen on the island. Fired a rocket but, as no response was made, managed to land Moore, who went up to the station but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. Night coming on. 
we could not wait to make something as to their fate. I have left Moore, MacDonald, Boymaster and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until you make other arrangements. Will not return to Oban until I hear from you. I have repeated this wire to Muirhead in case you are not at home. I will remain at the telegraph office tonight until it closes, if you wish to wire me. After the event, a thorough investigation was conducted by the Northern Lighthouse Board and their official statement about the incident was written in their report as... From evidence which I was able to procure, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner time on Saturday the 15th of December, that they had gone down to secure a box in which the mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc. were kept, and which was secured in a crevice in the rock about 110 feet, 34 metres, above sea level, and that an extra large sea had rushed up the face of the rock, had gone above them, and coming down with immense force, had swept them completely away. But along with the official report and explanation, the unsolved mystery still abounded in the press, and immediately became a legend not only in the area, but across the whole of Scotland and beyond. Stories trickled into newspapers, and the tale became a good yarn to spin in many pubs up and down the land, much to the heartbreak of the families that had been left behind by the missing keepers. As time passed and the legend grew, the story of what had happened to the men on Aylam Moor changed and became embellished with new fabricated details to the story. In 1965, a new evidence about the tale came to light in a book titled Invisible Horizons by Vincent Gaddis. Gaddis cited a piece by Ernest Fallon from a book titled True Strange Stories, and this is when the first mention of a logbook kept in the lighthouse arises. The entries which were made in this logbook then went on to become an integral part of the story, adding more anguish to the keeper's final days and building a story of them being troubled by storms which weren't visible from the mainland. However, in 1998, Mike Dash, a researcher for the Fortean Times, uncovered that the aforementioned Ernest Fallon was a made-up person by Gaddis who had created him to give credibility to his story. So, as it turns out, the logbooks weren't even a real document, and every retelling of the tale of the Flannan Isles mystery cites these as fact when they aren't. The fabled logbooks simply do not exist, however a lot of people overlook this in favour of creating more mystery. Hi everyone, so I'm just popping in here because there has been a development in this case over the last few days since I recorded this. And that's because a website called Scotland's People has now released some records. These are from the Northern Lighthouse Board registers. They're not anything to do with a logbook or anything. They are on the Scotland's People website. So I'm just going to read from there what they've said. So um, four volumes spanning a total of 84 years, 1837 to 19. 1921 from the lightkeeper registers of the commissioners of northern lighthouses have now been imaged and are available on the national records of scotland service scotland's people these registers are indexed and can be searched by name age and the year an individual entered into service these registers give the career histories for each keeper noting their full name often their date of birth the lighthouses they served in promotions demotions and their retirement date 
So how does this relate to the case? Well, it means that there are a little bit more details around um, what was recorded at the end of this case. Um, so they have put in on Scotland's People website um, the last two bits of information about James Duckett, Thomas Marshall and Donald MacArthur as well. Um, so the registers, I will put them on the screen on the YouTube video so you can see them now, but it's just the register of their deaths. So it doesn't give us any more information about the Flannery Niles, but I just thought it was interesting that um, those had been released in, in the last few days since I since I recorded. Okay, thanks for that interjection and um, back to the episode. So with that in mind, what are the more far-fetched theories that circulate around this tale and why are they not true? Well, let me do some myth-busting for you. Firstly, the supernatural connections to the islands. People believe the keepers may have been subject to angry spirits, mermaids, sirens or abducted by aliens. I do think personally that potentially there could be some weight to ancient Celtic spirits being upset at disturbances to their island. After all, Scots mythology, legend and lore is deep-seated in these beliefs. And it does stand to reason that they may have tried to make the island very inhospitable – And that bleeds into the most likely theory we have, which I'll come on to in a little while. Aliens, I highly doubt, because, well, firstly, it's very far-fetched, and simply, it's a tiny island in the middle of the ocean, which is sometimes difficult for people who know it's there to find it, let alone beings from outside of our own world. Another reasonable theory is that the men were kidnapped by pirates and put onto a boat and sailed away, never to be seen again. However, there were no signs of a struggle in the lighthouse itself apart from the overturned chair, and surely anyone looking to steal three grown men would also ransack the property for anything they could get their hands on. Another in the same vein is that the men were abducted by foreign spies, and during the time of the Flannan Isles incident, espionage activities were not uncommon. Some theories suggest that foreign spies may have abducted the keepers for unknown reasons, but this theory lacks evidence and appears more rooted in intrigue and speculation, again not in keeping with trying to get to the real answer. Violence between the men themselves is another theory, and this ties into the fictitious logbook, stating that one of the keepers was known to be violent. But again, as we now know, the logbooks were posthumously created, and so this is another one to throw in the bin. Then we come to our final and most likely theory, the one which the Northern Lighthouse Board themselves reported as their findings, and the one which I personally believe to be true. Two of the men went to secure a box in a gully, one which was known to have a cave behind it which would regularly fill with water, which would then be forced out in enormous waves which would cover the island, let alone the gully. The keeper who had been tasked with remaining in the lighthouse had been observing the waves from the kitchen, looked out and saw the wave approaching which would sweep his fellow keepers away. He went against the main rule of the lighthouse which was to never leave it unattended, ran out of the kitchen, knocking over the chair, then left the lighthouse without putting on his protective equipment and picked up pace towards the edge of the cliff. As he ran to shout to the men to run, he lost his footing, tumbled down towards the cliff, and the enormous wave broke, washing all three men out into the waters of the North Atlantic, never to be seen 
ever again, leaving the island uninhabited once more. Did the spirits of Aelin Moor cause the wave? Who's to say? But it certainly left the island alone, remote and quiet, for at least a few days until the relief crew arrived. In the subsequent time since the tragedy, William Ross, who was the keeper, who was meant to be on the island that day but wasn't due to illness, was transferred by the NLB to a different lighthouse, as I'm sure the constant reminder of what could have been and what did happen to his crewmates would have been too much to dwell on in such a remote location. The Flannan Isles mystery has captured public interest over the years and has been the subject of numerous articles, books and even songs. In 2018, the film The Vanishing, starring Gerard Butler, amongst others, put forward a fictionalised version of events, which makes for an interesting watch. Genesis wrote a song about it, which was meant to be on their first album, but it was deemed a bit too niche at the time, and never got released until a later archive album came out. And in an eerie poem, written in 1912 by Wilfred Wilson Gibson, he muses on what it must have been like for Joseph Moore and the crew of the Hesperus to discover the deserted island. Immediately after the event, the lighthouse on Aylan Moor was the first to receive a brand new telecommunications setup so they could reach the mainland, and this proved to be invaluable for the subsequent keepers. In reports spattered throughout newspaper articles over the years, various keepers required medical attention and had to be sent back to the mainland, with one particularly nasty case in 1949 of a broken collarbone that had to wait nine days to be attended to due to a storm which made it impossible for a boat to reach the island. In 1938, a bout of gastric flu struck the island and keeper after keeper was struck down, removed from the island and replaced with a subsequent crew, who were also then struck down, and it took several crews before it finally ended. Many of the crew members of the lighthouse in the subsequent years on the island have said they've heard disembodied shouting in the night of the names of the three lost keepers and others have said they have felt a heavy sense of always being watched and never being truly alone. Over the years, the lighthouse became more modernised, and by 1971, it became fully automated, and the last crew member left the island. Today, the Aylan Moor Lighthouse on the Flannan Isles is serviced once a year, and reached by helicopter, which can get to the island in a multitude of different weathers. The lighthouse still operates every single day, but nowadays it does so on its own with very little human interference, and since then there have been no issues. It's almost as if the island, or whatever owns the island, got their own way. The disappearance of the three lighthouse keepers from the Flannan Isles may live on as one of the greatest unsolved cases of all time, but for me, it will always remain a macabre mini mystery. Though three men dwell on Flallon Isle to keep the lamp alight, as we steer under the lee we caught no glimmer through the night. A passing ship at dawn had brought the news and quickly we set sail to find out what strange thing might ail the keeper's 
of the deep sea light. We seemed to stand for an endless while, though still no word was said. Three men alive on Flallon Isle who thought on three men dead. joining me for that episode i hope you enjoyed it do please let me know your thoughts which was your favorite theory in the comments or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast don't forget to check out my patreon for those new episodes of having a problem i promise you they are very funny if you want to hear the pilot episode it was last week's episode on the main feed on macabre london so give it a listen If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to give me a thumbs up and leave a sacrificial comment for the algorithm because they help me more than you know. And I really am trying to make this my career now. So any help to share the show around, posting it on your stories, telling your friends, all of that is really, really useful. So thanks ever so much for your help. If you're not already subscribed, then please come and join the Ghoul Gang. We'd love to have you. And also pop along and give me a follow on my social media. I've also got TikTok too if you like some shorter stories. Thank you for joining me for another macabre mini mystery. I've been Nikki Druce. Remember to stay spooky and I'll see you ghouls next time. Look at my little happy nails, aren't they cute? Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.